Good morning, everyone. My name is Carol Gosman, and me and my husband, Andrew, are senior pastors of Every Nation Romsich, where we see lives, communities, and society transformed through discipleship in the word, the presence, and power of God. I want to start today with a story. In the early 2000s, there was a small town on the border of Gauteng and Pumalanga, and they got news that there was going to be a dam built on the river that ran through the town. The dam would be built within six months, and six months after that, the area in the town and around the town would be flooded. In essence, they had one year before the area around them and in their houses, etc., that would be obliterated. You can imagine during this one year, no one took care of their gardens, no one painted their houses, no one took care of their businesses, no one fixed the broken robots, no one took care of the potholes. The town in essence fell into rack and ruin. After the year had passed, it came to light that the dam had not been built and all of their neglect, so to speak, had been in vain. You may ask, what is the name of this town? And I would have to say to you, I don't know. But even though I don't know the name of the town, I do know many lives who have been, that have been lived like this. Lives that, that have lived in hopelessness. Lives that have had no vision for the future. Lives that have fallen into rack and ruin for lack of an understanding of a good future ahead of them. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the presence. You, you have known lives like this. You find them all over the place. You find them in divorce courts. You find them in mental health clinics. You find them in broken relationships. You find them in lost jobs. Hopeless people with no vision for the future. Without hope, we die. 2020 has been a difficult year for so many. So many of us have had dashed hopes, dashed dreams. I don't know of any person who woke up on the 1st of January 2020 and decided that this was going to be a year where they were going to stay home for months on end. This was going to be a year where the economy was going to die. This was going to be a year where their expectation was that, that nothing much would happen. All of us had dreams and expectations for this year. And every single person is facing some degree of loss and disappointment. There was a man in the Bible who over a period of approximately 80 years faced ongoing disappointment. God had made him promises and for 80 years those promises seemed to linger. We're going to spend some time looking at that man and looking at his life and looking how he became known as the father of our faith. He became known as the one that we should emulate in faith and hope. How did he do it? How was he able to do it? We are beginning today a series on hope called Infinite Hope, Keeping Hope Alive. I want to talk to you about two types of hope. And I want to talk to you about stewarding your hope. So as we begin, Lord, I want to pray for everyone watching this podcast. I ask for everyone watching this video, Lord God, that, that your grace would be upon us to hear your word, to understand your word, to assimilate your word in a way, Lord, that, that allows hope to arise in our heart, that allows us to see the future in a new and clearer way. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. As I preach, I ask that you would put your words in my mouth, Lord God, and that you would speak to the hearts of everyone watching. So let's start the story. 
Abraham is the man I was talking about. And Abraham had promises from God. He had been told by God that he would be the father of many nations. He had been told by God that indeed his, the children that would come from him and his wife Sarah would be greater than the grains of sand on the earth and greater than or in number than all the stars in the sky. And yet, we catch up in the story when he is over a hundred and he has had no child. I want you to imagine with me what that would have been like. Every month, for approximately 80 years, if he got married at 20, every year, every month for 20 years, the disappointment. Where are the promises of God? How is this going to unfold? How, unfold? How, am, how is this hope that is my heart going to be realized? Month after month, his hopes and Sarah's hopes being dashed. Let's pick up the story. It's recounted in Romans 4, starting in verse 17. As it is written to Abraham, it says, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. I want you to take note of three particular verses. Verse 18 says, in hope he believed against hope. And in verse 19 it says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. And verse 21 says that fully convinced he was that God was able to do what he had promised. If I wanted to define hope for you, I would define it as this, the joyful expectation of a good future. How did he maintain in amongst all this disappointment a joyful expectation of a good future? As I said to note verse 18, it says there, in hope he believed against hope. I say to you that I would be talking about two kinds of hope and here we have it explained or, or not explained, here we have evidence of two kinds of hope that, would, that were at war with each other in Abraham's heart. In hope he believed against hope. There was a hope that was going to work and there was a hope that he had to work against. There are two types of hope. The first kind of hope I want to call small hope. And this kind of hope is situation dependent. It's kind of if only hope. It's kind of I can do this hope. It's hope that's graced or um, predicated on or founded on my ability. It's founded on my circumstances changing. It's the kind of hope that wishes for something different. And that kind of hope I like to call small hope. Proverbs 13 verse 12 in talking about this kind of hope says, 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is the kind of hope that gets dashed time and time again. This is the kind of hope where we find ourselves not able to live up to our own expectations, not able to do the things we feel necessary to see the thing fulfilled that we are hoping for. It's the kind of hope that is dependent on our circumstances changing and if they don't change then our hopes again are dashed and our, our heart becomes sick. But it says of Abraham that he warred against that hope, that that was the hope that he pushed back. And there was a kind of hope that, that really worked, a kind of hope, a God hope, as I call it. It says in verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. In other words, he wasn't he wasn't ignorant or in denial about what was going on with him, but he didn't allow his circumstances to influence the faith he had in a good God. The second kind of hope I call God hope. And you might say, why don't I call it big hope? If I call the first kind of hope small hope, then surely the other hope should be big hope. But no, I don't want to call it big hope. I want to call it God hope because many of us have big dreams, big big um, expectations and I want to say that God hope doesn't always equate to big dreams and big expectations because big dreams and big expectations can be just as much founded on small hope, just as much founded on our own efforts, on, on our circumstances coming right, on wishful thinking. God hope is not founded on that. God, God hope of course has big dreams and big expectations but it's not about the bigness or the smallness of the, the dream or the hope or the expectation. It's about the bigness of the God that backs that hope. In verse 21, we read that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. In other words, this hope that worked, this hope that brought about the, the right conclusion that eventually caused him and Sarah to bear a child and to become indeed the father of many nations, the father of nations, the father of our faith, in fact, the father of the, that, were, that would, which would become our covenant with Jesus Christ. That hope that was able to bring that to, to pass was fully, was based on him being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Why was he fully convinced? that God was able to do what he had promised. Well, it gives us a clue in verse 17. It says this, because he's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't exist. I don't know if you've ever pondered this question, but why is it impossible for God to lie? The Bible says that it's impossible for God to lie. Why is that true? This is the very reason is that God is a creator God. When he speaks, things are created. When there was no light, he spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light. And there was light. The thing that didn't exist before he spoke existed as he spoke because his words are creative. His words bring to pass the very things he says. He can't lie because once he says it, it is true. 
if it wasn't there before, it didn't exist before, when he says it, it will exist and it will be there. In other words, his promises, the promises he makes to us in him declaring them, he creates them. It's impossible for him to lie. That means we can trust him. That means we can be sure that his promises will work. And Abraham understood this, that this was a God who brought into existence things that did not exist just by his speaking. And therefore he could trust him. Therefore, he could found his hope, his expectation for the future on this big God, on this powerful God, on this good God. There are three things that we are going to need to believe about God in order to have God hope. The first thing is that God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That steadfast love that it talks about is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Obviously, that's how you spell it in English. In Hebrew, it's spelled a bit differently. But hesed is kind of the God's steadfast love. It's not our kind of fickle love. It's the covenant love that is exemplified in Jesus Christ. It's God's mercy towards us. It's God's love that will never leave us. It's the kind of love that Jesus exemplified. It's the kind of love that would die for the one it loves. It's the kind of love that sacrifices, that steps down out of heaven to find us kind of love. The second thing we're gonna have to believe about God in order to have the kind of God hope that Abraham had is that God is good. Psalm 136 verse 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. That psalm goes on and uses that word for God's steadfast love, uses it 26 times, a hesed word that I spoke to you about before. But it says, give thanks to the Lord for His good, for that, that love endures for in, forever. In other words, God is always going to be good. He's always going to exhibit that love. Everything he does is going to be founded in that kind of mercy bringing, steadfast love, self-sacrificial love, that love that endures forever. The last reason that I'm going to bring to you today about who God is that enables us to trust him with that kind of God hope is that your future in him is better than you imagined. Any hope you could conjure up for yourself about the future pales in comparison to the kind of hope that God has for you, the picture that God has for your future. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. In other words, God's presence in us, with us, is working towards a future that is so much bigger than anything you've conjured up. We can trust him with our futures. We can trust him with our tomorrows because he's, he's pictured already something greater than you could ever imagine. Now, I said there that your future in him is better than you've imagined. What I didn't say is that your future in him is easier than you imagined because the path to this future, this beautiful, incredible, strong, amazing fulfilling, significant future that God has for you is not a simple path. For many of us, it will involve challenges, difficulties, potholes to avoid, 
thinking to be changed, character to, to be developed. Our future is better than we ever imagined in him, but it's not necessarily easier than we've ever imagined. There is a scripture in Romans again, Romans 5, one chapter after the scripture we've been studying, starting in verse 3, it says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Other translations say it does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, because of God's presence with us, God's presence poured out on us, that even, even the sufferings and the difficulties lead to a hope fulfilled that, that will cause us not to be put to shame or not disappointed. Our hope put in God will overcome obstacles, difficulties, challenges. Indeed, adversity weeds out small hope. Adversity challenges small hope, but adversity brings out God hope. It allows us to take our focus of our own abilities. It take, takes our focus off our circumstances and puts our focus on Jesus. And when our focus is on, is on Jesus, God hope arises and we are able to look into the future, see something brighter and better than we've ever seen before. God hope arises. Another thing I want to tell you about God hope is that this hope comes or increases in our life as we know Christ better. Ephesians 1, 16, starting in verse 16, going through to verse 18, Paul is praying a prayer for the Ephesians and he prays this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul is very clear. He's praying for the Ephesians, that their understanding would be enlightened, that they would come to see Christ more, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon them. In other words, they'd be able to see and understand and have God revealed to them in greater measure. And in so doing, they would know the hope to which they were called. It's as if the more we know Jesus, the greater the hope in our hearts. And part of growing in God hope is to press into God to know him better, to press into Jesus to know him better, so that our hope would be founded on that goodness of God, on that faithfulness of God, of that vision of our future that God has that is so much bigger or better, more profound, deeper, more significant than the future we can dream up. As I said, I want to also talk to you about stewarding God's hope. There are three ways that we, we get hold of this God hope and we allow it to grow in our lives. We allow it to become the determiner of what we will believe and what we will think. First of all, we invest in our vision. There's a fascinating story in 2 Kings 6 
one of my favorite in all the Bible, starting in verse 15. But I'm going to first tell you the backstory. How's that? Is Elisha was a prophet in Israel. And Israel was at war with a nation called Syria, a bit different from present-day Syria, but uh, ancient Syria. And Syria would keep on attacking, the king of Syria would keep on attacking Israel. Every time Syria attacked, God would come to Elisha and tell him of Syria's plans. And Elisha would warn the king of Israel and they would take appropriate action and avoid the calamity or avoid the attack. And the king of Syria was getting so frustrated about this and he came to know that the reason he was being thwarted on every turn was because of the prophet Elisha telling his plans to the king of Israel. And so he sent his army to surround the town in which Elisha lived. And we pick up the story, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, with Elisha's servant saying this, Alas, my master! What shall we do? He's just seen the armies and the chariots and the horses of Syria surrounding their town. And the hopelessness is overflowing. Alas, my master, what shall we do? He cries out. Elisha responds, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountains, the mountain, sorry, was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. More are they that are with you than they that are with the enemy, that they that are against you. Invest in your vision, press into God to see spiritual realities, press into God to see his future for you, press into God to know his power and his character and his nature and his goodness and his defense of you. As we press into God and we invest in our vision, perhaps you won't see literal chariots of fire around you. But you will come to know and understand the goodness of God on your behalf. You will come to know and understand the faithfulness of God on your behalf. And you will be confident in that and your hope will rest on that. How do we invest in our vision? Well, we spend more time in God's word than we do in the local news or social media. We spend more time in the company of encouraging godly people than we do in the company of negative people. We feed our souls, we feed our understanding with God's perspective. The next thing we do to steward our hope is that we manage our emotions. Psalm 4 verse 4 and 5 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I love that scripture. It has helped me manage my emotions so many times when my emotions are just rising up and feeling fearful and anxious or angry. I do exactly what the psalm says. I, I try not to sin and then I ponder in my heart, not necessarily on my bed, but in a quiet, alone place. I ponder in my heart what's really going on. I ask God questions. I allow God to sift through my emotions and tell me what's real and what's not real to allow me to see where the emotions come from and allow me to give, allow him to give me his emotions. And then I offer right sacrifices. What does that mean? 
I do what's right even when I don't feel like it. I don't allow my emotions to determine my next move. I allow the direction of God to determine my next move. Many of you know that Andrew was sick with a debilitating illness for over 20 years. And during that time, one of the biggest things we had to do was manage our emotions. Day after day, we had to wake up and be positive about a future that our circumstances were defying. We had to be positive about the promises God had made us. We had to be hopeful about a future that we could not see if we simply looked at our immediate environment. And this is what I discovered, that the more we pushed into God, the more our faith grew. And the more our hopes were dashed, every day when we woke up and he wasn't healed, when, when that hope was dashed, we chose to push into God. And as we did, in fact, our faith grew. So in other words, it became this vicious, or this godly cycle, should I say, that, that devoured the enemy's plan against us. The more the enemy knocked us, the more we pushed into the God, the more our hope in him, in Jesus, grew. After 20 years, you all know he was miraculously healed and we thank God for that and worship him. The last way that we steward God's hope is that we guard our confession. We've spoken about, we've spoken about investing in your vision, managing your emotions. And now I want to talk about guarding your confession. Psalm 91 verse 12 says this, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 91, such a famous psalm about God's presence and God's protection and God guarding us against so many adverse circumstances. And there right in, in verse 2, excuse me, in verse 2, the writer tells himself this, I will say of the Lord, no matter what I'm going through, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In other words, no matter what I'm going through, this is going to be my confession. Isaiah 35 verse 4 says this, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Guard your confession. Guard what is coming out of your mouth. Say to your heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God will be with him. He will come and save you. Guard your confession. Let the words that come out of your mouth reinforce the future that God has shown you, not reinforce the enemy's plan for you or reinforce your doubts. Let the confession of your mouth reinforce God's plan. So there is small hope and there is God hope. God is inviting us today into a kind of God hope to leave behind our hope in our circumstances, to leave behind our hope in our own abilities, to leave behind wishful thinking and to grab hold of God thinking, to grab hold of the truths of God and steward the hope and the vision that he has given us by investing in our vision investing in God's vision for us, managing our emotions and guarding our confession. If I had to redefine hope for you, I defined it in the beginning as the joyful expectation of a good future. Perhaps a better definition would be this, the joyful expectation of a God future.
Lord, I want to pray for everyone hearing this word. I want to ask, Lord God, that, that you would pour out your spirit on us. So many of you who are watching this have, as I've said in the beginning, had hopes dashed this year, expectations, things you'd set out for, just evaporating in the sunlight, falling through your fingers. I feel God wants to say to you, will you believe again? Will you turn to him and will you see the expectation on his face for a good future for you? Will you again grab hold of him and believe that what he has for you is so much better than the very things you lost? That you can trust him completely with your lives? That you can wake up tomorrow and believe again? You can wake up to, tomorrow with enthusiasm and joy because there is a future for you that is better than you've ever thought. Father, I just pray that right now, where people have grown hopeless and despondent and despairing, would you root that out and would you put inside of them a vision and a picture of your future for them? Lord God, I'm praying that you would cause their hearts to swell with joy as they think about what could be. Thank you, Father. Also, if you are watching and as I've been talking, you've been realizing that that your life has not been right with God and that you would like to make your life right with God. Perhaps it wasn't the sermon that made you realize, but you've been realizing over a period of time and you want to make a change. You want to turn towards him. You want to make him your Lord and Savior. If that's you, I'd love you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I ask you that you would rescue my life. Lord, I ask you, that you would be my Lord and you would be my Savior. I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. There will be a link that you can, that you can make use of if you've prayed this prayer. Also, if you want just to make contact with any leaders in this church to receive prayer or help for anything, please make use of the contact details that you will find accompanying this video. God bless you. Have a glorious week. We love you lots and we'll see you soon.